Just take those old seasons off the shelf I'll sit and watch the funny baby myself Today's TVs don't got the same jokes I love the funny Peter Griffin show Don't try and make me watch The Simpsons <laughs> I'll try and shoot you with my big old guns I don't care about Lisa or Mo. I just wanna watch my favorite show Still love the funny Peter Griffin show The kind of jokes that just soothe the soul I reminisce about Greg Meyer and Joe When I'm watching Peter Griffin's show Guitar break! show that never misses the mark when chef left the whole thing got kind of old unlike the funny talking baby show call me a hater pray for my downfall i'll take my chris and meg and we'll have a ball today's tv don't got the same jokes unlike the funny peter griffin show still love the funny peter griffin show the jokes that just soothe the soul. I reminisce about my Dyer and Joe when I'm watching Peter Griffin's show. Sex break! This is a full song parody. Let's go. Still love the funny Peter Griffin show. Jokes that just soothe the soul. I reminisce about Quagmire and Joe when I'm watching Peter Griffin show. Still have the funny Peter Griffin show. The kind of jokes that just soothe the soul. I reminisce about Quagmire and Joe when I'm watching Peter Griffin show. What time it's up, dark of the Peter Joe. The jokes that just soothe the soul. I'll reminisce about what Mary Joe when I'm watching Peter Griffin show. I love the funny Peter Griffin show. Woo! Okay. Welcome to It Is On the Thank you, Cleveland. Thank you, Detroit. Thank you, Santa Ana County, baby. Thank you, Chef. Thank you, Chef. Wow. That was impressive. It's, um, I appreciate the amount of work that went into that. I really uh, liked it. Yeah. I uh, feel like I got maybe a little too into it on the back end there. Kind of lost myself, you know, in the vibe, I you know? Don't think so. No, I. It's it's that is what that's what I want to see. I want to see... You just get fucking crazy doing this here, brother. I just want to see a complete, complete ego death doing a doing a song parody, an opening show song parody. I that is what I want to see. Makes me feel like I'm at uh, karaoke again. You know, is really what it makes me feel right. like. Except the entire book 
is only songs that I know because they only have Family Guy parody lyrics. So it's like, well, I guess I'll just go up again. You know, if no one else yeah. wants to go up, yeah. I'll go up again. That's fine. Yeah, hell yeah. I'll go three times mm-hmm. in a row. I don't give a shit. <laughs> this place is awesome. Oh, you guys, oh, you guys got you guys got Stewie Don't Cry parody of Jesus, etc. Hell yeah. That's one of my all-time You can kill favorites. mom anytime you want. <laughs> Jesus, man. Uh, yeah, I've, uh, I think I'm done. I think you guys got it from here on. Out of you know, actually, you mentioned that. I think that when when this episode drops, it is a day before I'm going to see Wilco at the Pritzker Pavilion. Um, Oh wow! And I'm very excited for that. Uh, Yeah, no, you just want to jump out, uh, jump on out of here, and me and and special our special guest can take the reins for. I think you guys got it at this point. I feel like I've kind of done the thing that people come to listen to me for, and I think that's it. Well, let's introduce the show then. This is It's On The List with Noah and Mason. I'm the funny talking dog, Mason, joined as always by the funny talking baby, Noah. And we got folks. We got got a special guest and I'm wearing my diaper because I'm the funny talking baby. I just want to get that out there. I'm wearing my diaper during this episode. And if the guests want to see it, I guess I will oblige. So go ahead and ask now or forever hold your peace. Mason is uh, frozen, so we will never know what he said. What did I, you say? I said, and uh, you're wearing a diaper, and I am off the leash. Oh, fuck. Di- well, in that case, diaper's off for me. If you're off diaper's the leash, off. diaper's off. Gotcha. Yeah, okay. diaper's off. I'm running around bare-assed. But this is, uh, so outside. coming back for his sixth appearance in one way or another, I think is the number we came up with. We got... Uh, oh, hey. total appearance. Hey, everybody, yeah. I'm back. Jo- joining Noah and I in the Fun Hat Club for this episode. Can I read before, hey, Chris, before we introduce you, can I actually read the intro that I wrote for you real quick? Yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Our guest today is a writer, actor, and comedian and is one of the core five members of the interactive live stream show Everything Now, which can be seen every Monday at 7 p.m. Pacific at twitch.tv slash everythingnowshow, taking your suggestions and doing some improv. He has begged us for the last seven months to bring him back onto the show, and after a company-wide meeting, we graciously accepted his plea. After long deliberation, please welcome back for the last time, Chris <laughs> Well, I don't know about that one. I don't know about that one. So please welcome... <laughs> it, was all, it was all working really well right up to that last, last sentence. Last sentence is kind of what makes it, you know? That's kind of like the burnt cream of the creme brulee. You don't really have that without it, you know? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure. sure. Chris, how you doing? <sighs> I'm good. It's good to be back, and I know... This is just one of many in the journey of me being on this pod. So who's to say? Could be your last as far and, as how things are going already. Yeah. Well, I wouldn't. I'm not. Gonna Chris, what's your beverage way. today? What is that you're sipping on? <laughs> my beverage. My beverage is a. Uh, so it's it's one of those like cold brew concentrate things. Mm-hmm. But I don't. I just do like half the concentrate and then half milk instead of okay. putting water. Interesting. So it's like a very, very milky. It's like a gotcha. latte, I guess. But it's it's just it looks cold, like a white it's Russian a milk. Thing. Yeah, or uh, or horchata or something, or just milk. I heard ice in there, and I was like, he better not be drinking milk with ice. I notice your name is Mister Epic Mason. Mm-hmm. I noticed that your name on Zoom is Mister. Uh, Has that been pointed out on the not pod yet? yet? No. Mason's trying a lot of new stuff already on the pod. Yeah. I'm in. I'm in. I, I, we're experimental podcasting here. I'm in a very experimental stage of uh, of my life right now. A lot of 
All, all to say, all to say, that's crazy. Uh, it's good. It's good to have you back, Chris. Even if it would be for the final time. Says. I'm. I don't know yeah, if it is it could be, it absolutely time. could be, or it could not be. It's actually right. hard to say. But I think, Chris, the last time we had you on was you were only there for about, let's say, 10 minutes at most, I think is fair to say. You yes. joined us quickly when we did an episode with Marin Moreno. You, why, yes. do we, I don't know if we mentioned on the show why you had such a brief appearance. Do you want to maybe tell the story about why you had to quickly run? I think it was just I didn't really have okay. the movie or okay. the album. I remember it being you double booked a haircut is what is truthfully what I remember in my mind. Oh, no, no, no. The booking the haircut. Oh, yeah, that was it. <laughs> That's what I remember personally. This is because what's interesting is that is not the first time a haircut has interfered with me trying to be on this show. So that's what confused me. And I need a haircut right now. I don't have any scheduled, but I do. Well, need we'll one. let you know next time we're doing um, the podcast, and you can schedule. Yeah, okay. Perfect. Yeah, I had to go get a haircut, but I did come by. I talked a little bit about sports gambling and how that was going for me. It's been going and great, right? Yeah, That's I how. Mean, how has it been since then? It's only gotten Hell better. Yeah. It's only gotten better. I'm I'm doing it way more. Uh, it's taking up way more of my time and energy. Uh, I'm. Like, I feel like it's become a much bigger part of my life in a way. Are you making really money? Good. Well, you know, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in a place where I'm making okay. money necessarily, but I'm not in a place where I'm losing a ton of money. That's if good. that makes That's sense. That's really good. You should keep going. <laughs> you should keep going on that road. Yeah. Oh, I will. Yeah. I will. Well, now- I agree. Because it's like I've I've realized like okay yeah maybe there's a bottom in this but like oh yeah I'm not there you're not yet. even you're not even close to the bottom you can get a lot worse than what you're doing no, no. Right now. it can go way it can go I'm like you know I'm still going to work and I still can like buy my groceries yeah. and stuff so like yeah we want to see d- desperation <laughs> from these bets like yeah. if this bet doesn't pay off like I'm gonna rob my friends Noah and Mason type situation yeah. Yeah, well, you know, interestingly, I have to say, I went to Las Vegas uh, very safely safely. at a time when it was, yeah, and I was very safe about it. And I real, I don't actually. We played roulette and we played some other games, but I have to say, I don't don't like gambling. Gambling, interesting. Which I was surprised by. I thought I would, considering how much I enjoy the sports gambling. I figured that it would carry over. What were your mm-hmm. machines? Of, what were, or I guess, your games or your what were your what were your go tos while you were there? So yeah, I did a lot of roulette, and then we would do like penny slots. We wouldn't do like because you know the you slots. You play some Plinko. Like... No, oh, what's no. Plinko? Oh, what's Plinko? Okay. What's Plinko? What's Plinko? Uh, uh, Mason, I've set off get a the book out. Word <laughs> get the book. Get the book out. Okay, what's Plinko, you ask? <laughs> I hope <laughs> big fucking thunderous slam on the table. I'll I'll read the book. We'll turn the. You ever seen back uh, Price can... Is Right? Yeah, dude. That... Yeah, it's the big uh. The, you put the the is it, uh, Price Is Right? It's a big ball, right? And then it just like goes down, and you get a chance to win cash prizes. You can do that at like. Maybe that's more of like a Reno game, but you can put like some change in there for the chance of winning more more money, basically. Yeah. Oh. It's gambling oh, gambling. I would mostly do like Yeah, I would mostly do like the tables and then the slots occasionally. Gotcha. And I mentioned to Noah, I did go to 
what was it the Bellagio one of the like nicer hotels we walked through for Mm. a second and there was an anchor slot machine that is so that's that's epic that's epic that is there was a lot of Mr. Epic seal of approval here there was a ton of like movie slot machines of like there was Wizard of Oz there was like crazy rich Asians there was like the Terminator, like there was all these crazy. Of, there was of the president's analyst slot machine. There was the president's analyst. One lobby was just <laughs> president's analyst slot machine, wall to wall. It had you to scan your eye it. and then tell you if you were FBR or CEA, and then that like, yeah. very yeah. much determined your outcome. It actually didn't matter whether or not you were actually yeah. doing well or not. Um, well, Vegas is fun and also one of the worst places in the entire world, in my opinion. It, it yeah it's it's definitely both like, it's definitely both. yeah how hot really was it when you guys way. were there because that can kind of determine it was things. probably like 105 yep. degrees every day but the other thing is you don't go outside yes, exactly right you can't even look outside in most and places. like especially we got a very centrally located hotel so we were able to just like walk through oh, that's nice. the casino into another casino and you like literally never went outside like you would just go in like down but through a tunnel and then you would just like be in another hotel kind of amazing honestly yeah yeah and then we went to like a really nice uh french restaurant one night is that different from the gordon ramsay restaurant that you came across so we did not go to any (laughs) gordon ramsay restaurants but i'll tell you that man runs las vegas you couldn't you couldn't walk 10 steps without seeing some sign being like you want a gordon ramsay type of meat Gordon Ramsay burger here. So, Gordon folks, Ramsay we have a podcast here. to do today. Picture of the Wellington. <laughs> Hold on, Mason. I want to hear more about what kind of meat Gordon Ramsay's got going on in Vegas. You know the one. You know the one. Jake watches a lot of Hell's Kitchen. Another member of everything now. Jake watches a lot of Hell's Kitchen, and so I'm always watching. And and every goddamn season, they got to make this beef Wellington, which doesn't actually look that good to me. I've never had one though, but it's just like meat with like a dough Yikes. around it. I guess. And then you like cut it open, and then it's like you see the beef, and then there's like a like a thin layer of dough coating it, um, like a flaky thing. I don't know if that sounds good um, or not. I can't tell, to be honest with you. Yeah, and they that was I was like, he, they always make that in this show, no matter what season Jake's watching, they're making this goddamn thing. And then sure enough, like the first Gordon Ramsay restaurant I go to, just like a giant, like like just huge walls picture of Wellington. It's just like Gordon Ramsay makes it this here. Come get it. <laughs> anyway, we what got a fuck? pod to do today. Mason, we got we a pod got, to do today. We Come get, on. Oh, we let's do. Let's be serious we for do. a second. Yeah, we Damn. Do. We got some shit I thought, to talk about. Yeah, and it's not it's not talking Vegas. It's not uh no, no, no. This is talking well, dead. As we all, this isn't talking, talking dead. dead. Talking yeah, this bad. isn't This isn't at midnight. This isn't the Nerdist Podcast. Who the cares? Nerdist Podcast. Who cares? Who gives a shit? In any case, folks, this is it's on the list, and we we have a special sh- chef on the show. They bring on a double dish for us. They make us a little, little music appetizer and a little film yeah. entree. Two Beef Wellingtons from Chris <laughs> Two today. Two Beef Wellingtons from Chris today. Two real Beef Wellingtons. Yeah. Can you... I would say that at the very least, I bring on things that are... That are like Absolutely. interesting. I would that, yes. Like, are I would I would agree. Like things that 
go against the like you're getting a lot of these types of things and then this is something that's just like it's like an it's like an offshoot something that's sort of outside yes the realm and that's why we love really well while well, i love having you on the show i don't want to speak for noah but <laughs> yeah. yeah so maybe i should come back more i guess today we'll determine that, that. but know, anyway let's go I ahead and get come. into the first let's go yeah. ahead and get into the first thing we got on here chris as the guest what is the album that you brought to us today what are you offering us okay so this album, I didn't know its name for like until probably three days ago when we were actually like trying to figure out, I was like sending you the link and then I had my girlfriend translate what she what she thought the album was called, but then Noah actually found the English version of the album. So did you get an actual So I, to be this? honest with you, I only did that because I was look, wanted to see what the track names were. That's it. That's all I cared about were what okay. the track names were because... So we're gonna say this. This might be something around called "Songs of Constantine Something like that. Snap, 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 snap. So Constantine Rebellion's the guy, and and this is just like a collection of some of his work yes. that was released in a specific year. It's not like a compilation. Yeah, album. I believe like 1977 is the is the release year on this yeah. puppy. Uh, if as as. I'm sure there is a lot to say about your history with this specific record, but generally, mm-hmm. what is your history with this album? Okay, so my history with this is I'm gonna try to keep this as light <laughs> that's as possible. Okay. That's what I was trying to <laughs> sort of get at. I'm gonna try to because I know this. Well, we're gonna keep this light. So uh, I found this website. Again, through my girlfriend, she showed me this website called Radio Five O. No, you guys know what is that? I don't believe so. Okay, so it's it's a fun, cool website. It's called Radio Five O's, cool. and then like dot com, yeah. radio dot com. There's a free version and like a version you pay for. I do the free version, thinking about paying for it, but I don't know. I keep saying that. <laughs> you got to see how the sports and, betting shit pans out. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's like I don't know if I'm. I got like that's where if I have money I'm like oh I could just probably put it yeah. in. that's a different discussion and so we have a map yep. of the world and then at the bottom you have 1900s 1910s all the way up okay. to 2010s mm-hmm. and you can click any country oh, and shit. Then any decade and assuming oh. you know they, there's some some countries they don't have for a certain yeah. decade you know some countries didn't exist till 50 60 years ago so you kind of click around and then you you know i obviously when i found this i was like okay well i'm gonna click being armenian i'm gonna click armenia and i'm gonna go through every single decade Mm. and they have it all the way back to like the 1900s of like recordings of armenian music and it's most it's mostly like weird of course and it's like very slow and like kind of chanting sort of stuff and then you get into like the thirties and it just becomes more instrumentals and stuff. But then like I got into like the seventies and eighties and like this guy started to show up. And so I, then I looked into him further and when Armenia was part of the Soviet union, they had this like Armenian jazz orchestra that he was the leader of this Constantine Arbelian guy. And he like would write some music and he would play these, he would make these songs and it's a mix of Armenian and Russian and like they were they were renowned across the Soviet Union whilst being like a product of specifically, because in the Soviet Union each sort of ethnic group would still have representation on like a... Like a local like level? A smaller mm-hmm. level. Yeah, exactly. You'd have like the Armenian orchestra and like 
the you know sure. Estonian something or. <laughs> oh, okay. That, 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 that was the, that was the end. Of that. I didn't realize that was the end of that. Okay. And uh, then you just found him. Through, okay, cool. Mason. So then I found him through that, and then I listened to him nonstop for like the last three months. And I've specifically what happened is I've been writing a oh, nice. script lately that has nothing to do with anything Armenian. It's I don't know why I would put this music behind it, but I've been listening to this album and his other album in the background while I write for like three months. And so I just think, I don't know, I think there's something, we can talk about it more, but I think there is something just like vaguely cinematic about it. Definitely a big agree on the cinematic label. I like every song basically ends with a little flourish, a little blop. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. And so I've just been having that like in in my head as I write this thing that again has like literally nothing Armenian at all. I don't know why I would do it, but it's been working very well. And then it's inspired a new idea for a movie that is actually very related to President's Analyst. And maybe I'll just spoil it here if somebody wants to steal this. <laughs> why movie would, why, why would you get... spoil that idea? Why would you not? Why would you not keep that idea? What's going on? I don't know. I mean, come on. I'm still working on the first thing, and it's like, how am I going to get that keep one? It, I talk about keep another it. one. I, you don't, don't want anyone to steal <laughs> your, You're going to give that away. Don't do that. I mean, come on. Who's gonna? All right. What if? I, but if I say it on this, and then somebody makes it, can't I no, like sue them or something? No, I don't think you can. To be honest with you, I think that's a losing does that, battle. Does this not count? Does this not count as like saying? I don't fucking know how that shit works, man. I just. All right, we'll talk about it off the pod because I wanted to talk about. Sounds it. like so a good we'll idea go to off me. Pod. Ma- Mason, Chris, <laughs> shut the hell up for just one second, Mason. I okay. have to imagine this was brand new to you because it was brand, brand new spank- to me. Brand spanking new. Brand spanking new. Had no idea. Again, Chris is good for kind of outre uh, stuff. A lot of stuff not from uh, America as well. Like the last time we came on, watched a French movie, listened to an, a, uh, a Brazilian album. Uh, parade, similarly. Um but I had no concept or context for uh, kind of Armenian jazz. I like jazz a lot, and I'm yeah. it's I it's really cool that I got a taste of that from another country besides America, basically, uh, or anywhere else that I'd heard jazz music from. So yeah, but I guess all to say this one was a completely new experience to me. Uh, and Noah, you said it was also um, new to you. Do you like? Do you have a history with like jazz or anything that sounds like kind of similar to this? Were you about to ask me, do you like jazz? Or is that where the literally you were about to ask me? You like jazz? You like jazz? Like jazz? Have you ever been to a Turkish bathhouse? (laughs) No. (laughs) You ever seen a grown man naked? Uh, Yes. You like films about gladiators? (laughs) Uh, Films about gladiators. Why don't what? Why have you guys done that? No. We'll be Airplane? Yet. That I don't know if that necessarily some, yeah, is, a, that some, is a underrated or underappreciated. I think I feel kids like that these days pretty... don't appreciate a good airplane, and I think it's because a lot of the references are sure. getting so, like, so outdated culturally that they're sort of not caring right. to like. Yeah, it just means nothing to them almost at a certain level. Like a lot of the a lot of the references. Yeah, so I feel like that's. But anyway, that's the next time. Okay. I come Possibly on the podcast, next time. You very come on. shortly. That's when the very near future when I could come back years. on the podcast. Could be years. Could be days. Who knows? Could be years. Could be days. Could be, could be anything. I have no fucking idea to be honest with you. We, I just kind of walk through uh, my life at random, you know, just sort of yeah, grabbing yeah, things, yeah. going, "Oh, is this safe to put in my body?" Like, who knows? Let's find out. 
Um, Mason, to answer your question for all three things, yes, uh, I do enjoy jazz. I have been in a Turkish bathhouse, and I do enjoy movies about gladiators. Um, But I don't listen to it willingly a lot, truthfully. But I don't Mm -hmm. not enjoy it. There's a difference, I think, between, like, actively listening to stuff and, like, enjoying it, but it's like, I'll never probably put that on under my own volition, you know? Yeah, it's it's also, I feel like classical music gets that category, too, of, like, when you listen to classical music, you're like, oh, yeah, this is obviously, like, good, and I can appreciate this, but when am I, like, oh, I'm trying to just listen to, like, a Yeah, exactly. Right now. Like, never. <laughs> Truthfully, like, never in my yeah. life have I been like, all right, we're going to go through all the concertos today, boys. Let's yeah. fucking get the, get the kid gloves off. But, like, if I hear it, if, like, I happen to be in, like, a lobby or something and it's playing, I can be like, well, damn, yeah. This is yeah, that's good. exactly like, the place you're hearing it, too, is lobby, target, grocery store (laughs) maybe home depot but you're probably hearing you know fancy like by walker hayes instead or fucking toby keith uh but yeah this is a brand new experience for me i don't listen knowingly to a lot of international outside the u.s music whether maybe i'm unaware of the fact that i do but i just it's not usually in my rotation so hearing jazz from outside the u.s that's basically a new little pin on the map for me, more or less. So this is pretty damn new. And I didn't know what I was going to think, to be honest with you. Like, I just was like had no real expectations going into this. I was very open to really whatever it was because I just didn't know what to expect. I didn't know if it was going to be, you know, Oscar Peterson, Louis Armstrong type, if it was going to be more mm-hmm. Dean Martin, you know, Rat Packy a little bit. And I definitely think it sways a little bit more. Gonna... What's that? Uh, you were What's just... that? You're like, I hope one of these songs is That's Amore. <laughs> I, was, I was hoping I was like, oh, fuck, I know this one. I hope at one point they'll do Russian That's Amore. Yeah, or Stray Cat Strut or something like that. <laughs> oh, yeah, Russian Stray Cat Strut. Fuck yeah, I love that one. Um, but I think this definitely leans a little bit more into actually Vegasy type jazz or like lounge, you know, stuff that you might hear yeah. in like a cabaret or a lounge setting. It's very um, lounge. Yeah. And I loved this album, straight up. I thought this album was really good. Oh my God. I'm shocked, Noah. I'm you? really shocked. I was I was ready for you to be like, well, Chris, 0 for 2 again. No. What do you know? No, like, no, no. I, you liked the Gal Costa album, didn't you? Oh, yeah. I liked the Gal Costa album. I just don't didn't that's true. care that much about that man from Rio, but that's just because that's not really my cup of tea. I could appreciate for it for what it is. Uh Maybe that's a spoiler alert. Or maybe it's not, you know. We'll or just, I just sort of don't see. give a shit. We'll I, I, I just don't really give, I just don't really we'll give a see. shit about my life, you know. I'm just I'm sort of <laughs> doing whatever, whatever I want, not thinking about anything. Um, I had a really good time with this. I listened to this on a drive in the car on the way, I guess, you know, that would make sense on a drive in the car, but out to see uh, my mom who lives out in the country, <laughs> a little bit more rural <clears throat> parts uh, of the Portland general area. And I was like, this is sort of a weird sort of mix of, like, setting that I'm in, like, locale that I'm in, and music that's, like, underscoring. Uh, mm-hmm. But I thought this was real fun to listen to. Uh, it sort of made me feel like I was on a cruise or I was on, like, an old ship at, like, a ball or something like that. Like, it had a real transportive effect for me. And it really, like, was able to, like, conjure images in my mind of, like, oh, I really feel like I'm somewhere else and i think that's really hard to do in any art but especially in something that's non-visual you know and i think that this does that really well awesome i was similar to you i listened to this album also kind of 
while in transit, I took a uh, trip from my apartment down to uh, the Illinois Institute of Technology campus uh, as of this recording, the date yesterday. Uh, and that's about a 45-minute commute. Um, and I started this album when I like sat down on the green line because that was going to be roughly the time it took for me to get to... Well, it, in any case, I had a similar sort of reaction to you i guess noah where it was like for me it was kind of just like an experience enhancer like going back to the cinematic point that chris brought up it felt like uh uh, i was going on this like kind of some songs are very big and bright and poppy and i felt like i was going on a little journey there some um you know the, the kind of the slower numbers it was nice to look around on the um what is the it, green it, it line also, sort of like what are you looking at on the green line I would love to listen to this album on like a on like a tra- like one of those overnight oh, like an yeah. Amtrak, like, like you're going yeah on. like an Amtrak like in the yeah. yeah in like the cafe car of the yeah. Amtrak you're just like sitting looking at the yeah. you're smoking indoors spi- <laughs> smoking indoors yeah, yeah 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 oh man Dude, no, no, no. oh other highlight of Las <laughs> yes. Vegas real quick is like they let you smoke cigarettes everywhere wherever you want I don't even smoke cigarettes Let's and I go. bought a pack I was like I gotta experience this that's pretty so cool fun. anyway back uh, to the- <laughs> but no so the green line I, you, I picked it up at Clark and Lake at, Lake at the Thompson Center so kind of on the north side of the loop Follow, took that around uh, around the loop and then down um, it kind of goes parallel to the water which is really nice that's and nice when you're going to yeah, when you're going on this, you can see, yeah, yeah you can beautiful. see the lake. Uh, and the Green Line is a really, um, especially going to the south side of the city, is a really, it, it's lush, it is green, it is, you see a lot of trees. Uh, it's a beautiful, beautiful trip. Um, but yeah, that was, you know, and then just before we started recording, I sat on my deck and I gave this album another spin. And that one was also like, it's a bright, sunny day, I'm feeling really good. And that just... Um, I don't know the album. I similar to know. I th- felt kind of inspired to just like it, it, it's inspiring. I guess it's it, which is a facet of music that I don't always know that I'm looking for. So this is a real, a real um, uh, tremendous. This is a little treat. This is a nice little treat that you brought on the show, Chris. I always like what you bring on. I try to bring little yeah, treats. Yeah, this is a nice little... I try to bring little treats. Hey, sometimes treats. they're dog treats and sometimes they're people treats. <laughs> you know, today, yeah. right now, and that's at least one people out. treat, you know, as far as I'm concerned. That's at least one TBD. Yeah, who knows? We have no idea what that second thing will uh, have in store for us. Maybe it will be the worst thing I've ever seen in my entire life. Maybe it'll be fucking incredible. Who, who knows? knows? It's actually impossible to say until we get there. Um... That's that's how I feel about my next mm, appearance I, on the show. It's impossible yeah, to say. Yeah, I actually agree there. with you on that. It is impossible to say <laughs> until we get there what the truth of the matter is cuz truth is relative also. But uh mm-hmm. I actually was reminded of not a movie that we've talked about on the show, but a director that we've talked about who you actually brought Chris this very Jacques Tati feeling to me especially yeah. the second half of playtime where we're in the restaurant, there's a bunch of yeah, stuff going on. Absolutely. You're kind of just allowing yourself to look around. That's almost how I feel about this, both on a track-by-track basis, but also just, like, on the album as a whole, because in each song, the arrangements are slightly different from one another, so there's different types of sounds being introduced uh, throughout. There's different sort of, like, 
marimba sounds and maybe it's you have male singers you have female singers you're getting a lot not only on a track by track basis but just sort of on you know like within the tracks themselves but an album as a whole you know like you were saying you've got male and female singers you've got songs that are a little bit more down tempo you've got songs that are a little bit more up tempo it's kind of a grab bag you know it's a little goodie bag it it sort of definitely is like a showcase of Constantine Orbelian of like his range I think in particular too of like he is just this because he was like a conductor and composer and like he was sort of considered like the guy at the time and so I think they were really trying to like showcase him Um, and like I also think what's great about this album one thing for me that I enjoyed about it was like I feel like Russian because this is also you know half the song I mean probably more than half are Russian it's actually tough for me to differentiate between the Russian and Armenian on some Um, but there's a few that like and I feel like Russian singers in American zeitgeist is like do you remember that meme from like 12 years ago you know the guy I'm talking about the Russian guy who sings yeah yeah exactly (laughs) and like this is a thing where I feel like it it took that and it was like no this is just like beautiful music it's a great song yeah it's not just some like little jokey meme of like this guy it's like this is a beautiful song this guy has an incredible voice like it it is it's it's a very like Soviet style but like you can actually appreciate it as something that is incredible art agreed agreed (laughs) <laughs> I, yeah, agree, I, I agree. It's it's so unlike anything that I'm used to that it really just sort of opens the door for me of like, man, there's so much music out there from the present day, from the past, that I'll never hear. Like, just straight up. Like, <laughs> yeah. I'll never hear <laughs> most music that exists in the world. And the fact that couldn't before, you know, last week or whatever – couldn't have told you who this guy was. If you had asked me, do you know who this is? I just would have said straight up no. Now I'm like, yeah, I've heard an entire mm-hmm. album of his, and I really enjoyed it. You know, it's pretty amazing to think that, like, this kind of thing exists in Iceland. It exists in Mexico. It exists in mm-hmm. Chile. You know, all over the world. It's funny you say Iceland. It's funny you say Iceland. That's, oh, that's the right. place I am from. That's right. do you, interesting. Do you, do you actually speak Armenian or Icelandic at all? So I, I this year... <clears throat> Because there was like a war that happened, so I was getting more right. into being Armenian, and so this year I uh, started to learn. The problem is there's two sort of dialects of Armenian. There's Eastern and Western, and and my family speaks the Western dialect, which is not the one that's spoken in Armenia, and also really not the one that's spoken in Los oh, Angeles. Gotcha. They tend to all speak the Eastern version here, even though like is that because of just how geography well, works? So yeah, or because like of the city? again, this would this would become a whole nother very dark topic of conversation, but uh, it's it's tough to avoid it as an Armenian. But uh, <laughs> no, 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 absolutely, um, absolutely. But yeah, like the Western Armenian is largely the people who have all gotcha. left yeah. Armenia yeah. because of the genocide. So they're all spread out around the world. So like in Paris, they'll speak the Western dialect more. In New York, they'll speak the Western dialect more. Um, in Russia, they'll speak Eastern just because it's next to like where what is now Armenia was like. Oh, Eastern gotcha. Armenia. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. And so the Los Angeles community, even though Armenians have been in LA for like 150 years, there was a big, big influx of Armenians from Armenia yeah. in like the 90s that came sure. to Los Angeles. 
And that's when the USSR officially broke here. up, right? Was the early 90s? Yeah. Yeah, and there was another war back then, so it was like there was a big flood out of the country. Um, and so they all came to mostly, because this was already where the biggest Armenian population was, they all were like, all right, let's come here. And so it's like, in they so anyway, this is a long, convoluted way to say I'm learning <laughs> okay. Western Armenian because I want to be able to speak sure. it with my family. And I'm getting a little bit of it, but it's very hard. I also have some learning disabilities that make it really sure. hard for me to learn language. Mm. So it's very difficult, but I am trying to work on that. And then I don't speak, I mean, I know like four words of Icelandic. Icelandic is, I think, like one of the top five hardest languages to learn. It's like an incredibly difficult sure. language. And so I don't even, no offense to them. I love Iceland, been there like four times, but not, I don't know. And they all speak English of course. there. Like everyone in Iceland speaks English. So there's just I have no to imagine, you know, like it's such a small know. country that it's like, and such a narrow, you know, group of people that would like, would have the opportunity to learn it. That's like, it's probably so hard to learn because it's like no one fucking speaks it. You know, it's like, it's just there. Yeah. And like, they were really, they were really just chilling on that Island for hundreds of years, just doing their own thing. And like, there was just not a lot of like, it's just a very like self. It's like, it's very, even though it is based in like, um, Norse language, it's like, they are really their own thing. They've really developed their own culture off to the side there, but I can't really speak on authority with Iceland as much as I could sure. with say Armenia. So let's, let's venture back. Okay. To <laughs> there we are, baby. We're back. Yeah. Before I just start just saying factually inaccurate things and just being like, yeah, I'm yeah. pretty sure that's that true. is one of, that's one of my favorite things about going on a podcast is just speaking, just speaking out. My <laughs> yeah. Ass. Just, just being like, shit, maybe it's this. I'll just say it's that. And then Mason and I have been doing on. that for almost two years. So yeah. I, know that, I know that my face win, you know, my face win. Uh, yeah. Mason, do you have any other real thoughts about this, or should we start diving into sort of the wrap-up stuff? Um, Just to kind of echo what you were saying, there is an awful lot of music that I know doesn't exist. Like, I don't know exists, and I will probably never hear. Um... But I always really love when uh, I find something like that, you know, or something like that is shown. I think that's the case here. I really recommend you guys check Radio out Five O. Yeah, it sounds really. Website. It does sound. It does sound yeah, tremendous. Yeah. It does kind of sound like what I'm looking for. You can just put like a country in a decade, leave it on in the background for an hour. If one of the songs like pops out when you're listening uh, yeah. to it, yeah, you know, I you love. Just, you put that on your. Spotify. I love the radio, man. I am getting. I have a, yeah. a like a little clock radio that my parents got me for Christmas or my birthday and I love having just some tunes going it's the radio's great we got to bring it back uh podcasting killed the radio star no do you have any other thoughts about this <laughs> podcasting killed the radio star and twitch killed the podcast star and that's that's yeah. why you that's why I'm officially declaring war on everything now show starting now <laughs> um the All only right, other thing I wanted to it. mention is just a small thing track eight of this album which I believe in English, or at least the English translation that I was able to find, is called There on Beach. Uh, that oh, track yeah, that rocks. rocks. And you know what it actually reminds yeah. me a lot of? And Chris, I don't know, if Mason, if you've seen this movie, but I know you've seen this movie, Chris, is Mine Air, Mine Hair from Cabaret. It reminds me a lot of that song. And oh, that's, yeah. like one, that's like top three favorite songs in that whole musical for me. So I was like, hell yeah, let's get some more of that energy going. Yeah, I definitely, I mean, if we want to get into individual tracks, I have a few that, that sure. definitely stood out to me. 
and I think I don't know what your guys' take is on this. For me, the B side of this album is the better. Okay, one. I kind of prefer the A side actually. Um, I'm pulling it yeah. up right now. I got more. Up. I got more hearts on the A side of this album than on the the B side. For me, my all right. So my top three, I think, are going to be nine, ten, and three. So nine, love words, Dilzon, and. Uh, Yerevan, my love, which I know it is Yerevan, which is the capital of Armenia. So the the number three Yerevan, my love, is that one's in Armenian too, and that one's just like a song about just like the capital city of Armenia, just like it's great, it's we love it here, like it's it's like such like a sweet song to just be like, hey, like we love the our capital yeah. city, like come come check it out. It's it's and it's not like propaganda. It's not saying like we are the you know we we praise our people. It's just being like our beautiful beaches and our sunny weather. You know, like it's just like it's amazing here. I would also say nine and three were two of my favorites. I also like the second track, which is in English here as "Thank You Life," and I think that the the last song in this album, uh, "Dilijan," I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that. Uh, yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, is also. What a way to end the album. Just a real, like, kind of, yeah. you know, you can kind of imagine, like, the singers coming out. Like, this is playing live, and the singers are coming out and, like, doing bows, you know. Uh, and then the horn yeah. section does a little bow. Um, the drummer gets a little section to show off there at the end. Uh, really great way to kind of uh, to close this, this whole listening experience out. For some reason, whenever I try and open the link that you sent, Chris, it, you, it used to be able to be like, you click the link. It'll open on Chrome, and then it'll say, do you want to open this in Spotify instead? And I'll say, yes, of course. Uh, yeah, I, And it's I've not doing that, that for me for some reason right now. So that's where all my likes are on the album. <laughs> so I can't pull that up. But I did write down that tracks three, which I have as Erevan Love My. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one I was just talking about. That's the one that's, like, just about the capital city. She has such like, a beautiful voice. It's, it's like... She does. It, it truly, and honestly, that the another thing that I think is worth pointing out is if you listened to the episode where we go to Rio and you listened to the Gal Costa album, there are a lot of similarities, I think, in terms of the sound of Tropicalia oh, and this you know, album. I think, I think right. there is a lot of similarities. So if you enjoyed yeah. the Gal Costa album, this is absolutely worth checking out. But number three, Arizon Love My. Uh, number five, Vocalize. I don't actually remember what that is off the top yeah. of my head. That's the one that's like, bum, oh, of bum, course. Bum, bum, yes. bum, bum, that's the one where she's just kind of like it's, scatting the whole time. It's really fun. It's it really reminds great. me, it's like makes me want to get up and dance, you know, slip and fall, crack yeah. my teeth, have them take me off the boat, airlift me to a hospital, kill me in the hospital. Yeah. Uh, and then number 10, <laughs> uh, Dilzon, Dilizon, uh, I think is actually my favorite track on the whole album. Yeah. And you know, like that, I think vocalize is like obviously a song that has foreign influence and like. Something that I, I don't know, this is, so not to get into, like, too controversial of waters here, but, like, this, I think, goes into the debate of, like, cultural appropriation stuff, and, like, for me, this there's a distinction, and, like, there's a lot of music, for instance, I was into a while, uh, for a while I was really into, like, uh, Jamaica Mento music and, like, Caribbean music of the 50s that was, like, largely written to a appeal to uh oh, sure. british people so it would be songs being like i love england i'm having a great time here like everyone's nice <laughs> right. to me here don't worry about it but like even though that that is so clearly like you know through imperialism and col- colonizing and stuff like 
it is these guys wrote really good music in the process because they're all just like incredibly talented artists and i always find that like even though it probably is just a byproduct of like smaller countries trying to appeal to bigger countries with more money like when i can hear for instance like brazilian music cover american stuff like it is a very interesting spin that you put on it undeniably and like this is something where it was kind of not, some of these tracks you can tell they're like we're gonna try to do sort of like a more western style sound right and do it on our terms and like for me like i i don't know where the line is on like where you can do that but i i think it's, if you're a smaller country mimicking a bigger country i think that's fine i feel like no one's gonna give you a hard sure. time for that and i think like you get to hear these really incredible new takes on things that you wouldn't get without this. I mean, it might be slightly reductive, but it is more or less the same when like someone in Asia is doing Elvis Presley, you know, like they're just walking around doing songs from the King. It is that on a small scale versus what you're talking about, which is a little bit more like there's an industrial element to it and an actual like colonization element to it. But it is more or less the same act of like, I live in a smaller country that isn't as powerful but I love Elvis. So I'm going to do. Yeah. And I'm yeah. like a talented musician who can create a good spin on this. And like, yeah. And like that did appeal to me. And so I want to like, and if they are doing it because it's like, well, this is profitable. Then like, there's, there's an element Absolutely. of tragedy to that of like, what if they could do their own thing? But like that being said, you shouldn't diminish the work they did do. And like, they yeah. did put a product forward that I, it does showcase that they're incredibly talented and like, and yeah, this I think really like it's this is definitely not traditional Armenian music, you know, like this what is would definitely you not like in traditional Armenian music, too, if you could describe it or traditional Armenian music. I get a lot of like no one agrees with me on this, but to me, traditional Armenian music sort of sounds like a hybrid of Middle Eastern and Indian oh, music okay. because it's sort of like Middle Eastern music that's slightly influenced a little okay. more by the East, I think, even though Armenian culture isn't very influenced by India at all. Um, I just think like the, our, a big Armenian instrument is like the oud, which is like, you know, the guitar that's like a little smaller and then like the thing's very round. It's O-U-D if you guys just want yeah, to Google yeah, yeah. image it real quick. But like, that is like a, that, that's an instrument we would play for a long time. And like, I don't know, we're also like one of the only Christian countries in the middle of all these Muslim countries. So like our music is influenced by it, but they are also trying to do their own thing. Um, and then, you know, Armenians also like thousands of years old as a culture. So it's a lot of like, there's like Gregorian era music. There's like, yeah, I mean, it can go really far back. The O is it, Um, how do you say the Ode? How do you say it? Ode? Ode. It's like yeah, a, it's I was a looking rounder at, I was mandolin, looking at, basically. Yeah, and the, the, the top of it is bent. Um, the, like, the, the fret, the top kind of part of the fretboard is bent. Oh, that's it, crazy. Yes. Wow. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's, oh, that's, that, I didn't notice that the, uh, where you actually do the tuning, the tuning neck, I guess, or whatever you call it, that that's. Yeah, I'm not quite sure what it's called. Bent. That's wild. Yeah, and also, I don't want anyone to get <laughs> mad at me because, like, I'm saying this is, like, Armenian and like we got like I'm not trying to claim like this is our invention and everyone else is doing our thing I'm just saying that like a lot of Armenian musicians will use this instrument that's all I'm saying I'm not trying to claim they created it or that this is ours or anything like that because people get 
very, very pissy about <laughs> people being like, that's actually Armenian, and like, no, it's actually Greek, and then it just becomes this whole back and forth, and you're like, oh, it's well, Chris, fine. It's actually, whoever's. that's funny you say it, because before I met you and like really got to know you, I actually thought you were Greek. Like, I just straight up thought you were because of your last wow. name. I'm totally... There's a there's a whole thing. Armenians and Greeks are real good with each other. We're real, and it's because again, not to get into too much shit, but like we both do not have good relationships. Shout out. And so we we we've we've bonded for like the last hundred and fifty, maybe even longer. I'm not the expert historian on this, but like there's always been a thing of like Greeks and Armenians are boys. We got each other's backs. Hell so yeah. I'm fine with being. Boys, we could probably talk about the rest of this all day, but I feel like we got to get into some fast facts, do some MVP, do some recommendation stuff. Are you guys good to do that? Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. Okay. Let's do it. All of these, all of these except for the last fast fact, come from Constantine Orbelian's website himself. So check this out. Great. A talented composer of classical music, symphony, ballet, chamber, ensemble, jazz, and popular songs, Konstantin Orbelian is one of the brightest phenomena of Soviet and post-Soviet musical culture. He is the recipient of significant awards in the former Soviet Union, the, Armenia Repu- the Armenian Republic, and the international musical community. He has received the highest accolades from the three Soviet presidents, the award for, quote, for services to labor, for, for services to labor from Khrushchev, the title, quote, People's Artist of the USSR from, I believe it's Brezhnev is how you say that. Uh, and finally, quote, mm-hmm. Friendship of People's Prize from Gorbachev in 1989. That, that is such a good name for Friendship of People's. Holy shit, the Friendship well, I think of we, People's. I, this I podcast has that. also won that award, believe yeah. it or not, for all the humanitarian <laughs> work that we do with, by just doing the show, actually. Uh, Constantine yeah. Orbelian has been acknowledged as a pianist and improviser since he was in his teens at 15. Oh, that's interesting. They said improviser. That's kind at of age 15. He was cool. invited to perform with the Armenian State <laughs> Pop Orchestra, and subsequently, that was your mark for never being invited on the show again. By the way, and subsequently, <laughs> <laughs> subsequently became its conductor under his able direction for 36 years. The orchestra rose to become one of the most accomplished of its kind. Yeah, this is the guy I was talking about. It came to represent Soviet jazz in more than 30 countries in Eastern and Western Europe, the Near East, Africa, and Southeast Asia. One of the orchestra's highlights was its American tour in 1975, which included 25 concerts in major cities from coast to coast. Could I just real quick? Could I real quick? So, yeah, this is the guys I was talking about. So, like, Armenia had this pop jazz orchestra thing, and this guy was doing it, and he did such a good job that the Soviet Union was like, we're going to take this overseas and brag about this cool Armenian orchestra we have. And there's a great video on YouTube you can look up where they're doing one of these American concerts and they cover Ooh. Earth, Wind, and Fire track. And it's like early Earth, Wind, and Fire, which I don't know if you guys know this, but Earth, Wind, and Fire, before they were like September and doing all this pop stuff, they were like doing this crazy oh, wow. jazz. And I don't know if you guys ever heard like no. early Earth, Wind, and Fire. I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but do you guys know the movie Sweet, Sweet Back? Yes. Sweet, yeah, Sweet I've Back, seen it, but I'm song? familiar. I believe that Earth, Wind, and Fire did the soundtrack to this movie before oh, wow. they were famous, and it's just chaotic jazz. Yes, it is. That's, that's a great. Right about that's this. a great soundtrack. I didn't catch that. It is a great soundtrack. That's Earth, Wind, and Fire doing like this chaotic style of jazz, and the orchestra came to the states and you can find this video on youtube and it's great and it's because it's like all these very soviet armenian looking men in like these pink suits <laughs> but they're all very like sunken 
sullen looking and they're like getting up and playing in the trumpet like wow. totally expressionless and it's like this insane <laughs> That's stuff sick. like it is really it is really a great video i sent it to a friend of mine and he was like this should be in an adam curtis stock immediately like this is just so such a beautiful was it image tommy? and sound shout out tommy it was uh Grad, Shout out Tommy. No, la- no hey, last name. He, I don't know if he likes that. I don't know if he wants to be mentioned on this yeah. blasphemous-ass show. Uh, graduating in composition piano from Edward Mirzoyans. Mirzoyans, I'm going to say. Edward Mirzoyans, class of composition okay. at Yerevan Komitas Conservatory in 1963. Orbelian achieved early recognition for his string quartet, winning the coveted first prize of the international competition in Moscow, where the chairman of the competition's panel of judges was Dmitry Sashtakovich. So shout out to them. Yo! Getting the little, getting the little prize from Dmitry Sashtakovich. Uh, there we go. As a result, Orbelian's rising talent and success were noted with the great appreciation of the by the doyen of Armenian music of the time, Aram Kachaturian. Uh, ever oh, versatile. that's the guy who did Saber Dance. Oh, that's the guy who did that? Yeah, Saber Dance. Damn. It's very famous. And Damn. that's the guy who did it. Oh, yeah. Okay, so shout out to Aram Kajaturian for Saber Dance. Uh, uh, last fact. You would know the famous Looney Tunes episode. That's another Armenian. Count oh, it! Yeah. Count and it. the Put foul! The That's another one for us. <laughs> and the foul, because he's post-genocide, so it is an and the foul. <laughs> Mike Breen calling it in 1970-whatever as a little boy. Same voice that he has now. Count it! And the foul! He's going to the line to shoot one. <laughs> Last fast fact, uh, he is the uncle of the namesake, also named Constantine Orbelian, who is currently... Yes, who just got named like something at the music Met director opera, and principal right? conductor of the NYC Opera. Yeah, he just got Shout named out. that like this year. Shouts out! That. Shouts out, Chris, because you are our guest for one last time. Uh, the guest always get <laughs> the all the guests. I don't know about okay, that. the guest yeah. always. Uh, we always go to the guest first. If you want to defer, me or Mason can go first. But we like to name a Mercedes Valuable Player. You are a many time guest, so of course you know the Mercedes Valuable Player is named after Mercedes Ruel from the nineteen eighty eight movie by Jonathan Demi Married to the Mob. What is your Mercedes Valuable Player for the songs of Constantine Orbelli in nineteen seventy seven? I'm gonna say. Hmm. I'm going to say it's the the MVP of this is actually whoever the Russian male Shout singer out. is in this. Nice. Because and he's he's mostly featured on the B side, but he is and I think he's also I was reading a little bit that like he was like a big big he wasn't Armenian, the singer. And he was like a really big big deal in the Soviet Union too, so this was like a big collab Damn. at the time. Um and yeah, like his voice is like again. It's like he has the sort of same voice as that mean guy, but it's like he uses it so so beautifully. And like it's such a such a distinct sound that like could only work like our, I feel like just in American culture you can't sound yeah. like that. And like we like and that is such a good. That's very voice. true. It's not easy to be successful with in America with a voice that is more tuned and catered towards sounding like that. So that's a great point. I didn't even think about yeah. that. Uh, Mason, what's who or what is your Mercedes Valuable player? Uh, I'm going to give mine to track three, uh, Erevan, My Love. Or, Let's go. Um, oh, yeah. Such a 
boisterous. <laughs> that's this. That's the song that I would want to um, play me on on stage at Vegas, like during my Vegas residency, um, which is happening very, soon, right? Yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, I, I'm week. I'm getting ready for that right now. Um, <laughs> awesome, I man. I love that song. I I it's uh it's it's one of those songs that when you're listening to it nothing bad can happen to you so love Erevan, my love yeah in the movie that i'm not in the movie that noah's not letting me pitch on this show uh the and i don't want to give away the plot until we go off pod i guess but that would be the closing that would be the song that that, ends, that is like, yeah right that's the, the yeah nice. that song is ending my my playlist that i'm making for this week uh right now that's what i have as the the final yeah. the final track there but noe enough yeah. about that what is your what is your mercedes valuable player well before i name my mercedes valuable player mason you said you said this to me in private and you also said it to me in confidence but you're doing your residency as sort of a mix of like jeff dunham and larry the cable guy sort of stuff right like that's your residency yeah topic yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. Exactly. You're that is that is exactly right. Uh, I am playing um, uh, Rutabaga, the um, the oh, country shit. the country farter. Yeah, and I just have a. Uh, and it's all like if if you have a if you have a guy's hand up your butt, you might. Be yeah, exactly. You're just doing... That's gonna make me. I'm here made of felt. You got a big purple nose. You might just be just going, just going up to just going up to just going up to people and instead of uh, handing them a puppet instead of a stupid sign, it's just here's your stupid puppet. If you only talk when you got a hand up your ass, you might be a puppet. Wow. My wow. Mercedes valuable player are the horns. I love a good horn section. Yeah. This album's got some good horns. Uh, this is gonna be a full recommend for me. Check this. This album is also out. gonna be a, f- yeah. This is gonna also gonna be full al- uh, full recommend for me. I am gonna put this album in the, in the in the notes here because it is kind of hard to track down on Spotify as it is written in Cyrillic. Um, yes. So if you're interested, folks, find it there. Uh, full recommend for me as well. I will also say. This is a full recommend for me too, of course. And if you if you if you are on Spotify, if you do manage to find this this album on Spotify, click his name, even though it's in Cyrillic. And there's one other album, and for both of you, I'd recommend the same. There's one other album. It's like a group of people standing in front of a statue. Click that one. Go through it. It's it's like same. I, I, this this one just barely beat out the other one. Sure. What I was going to come on with, and I thought this one was more showcasey. Yeah. But if you like this, absolutely, this Hell next yeah. one is going to hit. Just speaking of well. hitting, just as well, we got another. We got a movie to talk about, you guys. Can I real quick? Because I didn't get to do this off the top. That song this week was really the one that I sang. Was really. Yeah, yeah, your Family Guy song this week Thanks. was really good. I mean, we've I've been on before and we've done the joke songs and like I was genuinely like this is a good song. I'm really I'm wow. really vibing to this song right now. I was like really in it and when you, and I'm going to agree with Mason like in the second half when yeah. you really took off with it, that was I think to its benefit. And I hey, think that really Yeah, thank you. I'll take yeah. it. Thanks, Chris. Thank you, Mason. Yeah. And and yeah, and you said you're going to a Wilco show, Mason? I am, August 28th, and I'm taking a day trip up to Milwaukee to see them headline Summerfest in September. Maybe, maybe like, tell them about this song and, like, see if they will do a cover. Yeah. yeah. And, like, get up, 
get in front of it. Tell one, tell one of my heroes. I really feel like tell one of my heroes, one of my favorite musicians in the whole world, Jeff Tweedy, about the old time rock and roll <laughs> Family Guy parody called the Funny Peter Griffin Show. All right, so the movie we're talking about today is called what, Chris? So the movie is the President's Analyst. James Coburn snap, starring. Snap, 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 snap. Snap, 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 <laughs> Chris, why'd you pick this movie, my friend? I'm so happy you asked. So I actually don't... I think the reason I came across this movie was very randomly. A buddy of mine were here, and we were looking on Criterion Channel for something to watch, and it was in the Leaving oh, Soon yeah, yeah. category. And... Just the name, the president's analyst, honestly stood out to me. Sure. I was like, "What is that?" And then I clicked on it, and it was a comedy. And I'm, of course, I if like, if it's like a Criterion Channel comedy, I'm always very fascinated in that because yeah. I'm always very fascinated in like, what are the comedies that people are like, "No, watch this twenty years sure. later" kind of thing. You yeah. know what I mean? So I was like, "Oh," and I've never heard of it. And then I looked it up, and the director. It's Theodore Stryker, I believe, right? Flicker. Theodore J. Flicker. Flicker. Stryker, Stryker is the guy from Zucker? Airplane. Is the guy That's from Airplane? That's true. Yeah. No, it is Stryker. The guy who, the lead, yeah, Ted oh, Stryker. Oh, the guy okay, in the movie Airplane, yes. Another, okay, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Flicker, and I was like, why do I know this name? And it was because, I don't know if I talked about this on the pod yet, but I, I read this book about the history of improv called Improv Nation, written by Sam Watson. Well, actually, book. I think you may have touched on it on the pod. It's a very yeah. good book. It's a really cool book. It's a lot about uh, Mike Nichols and Elaine May and, like, the early stuff. They don't really get into much past okay. the, like, the 90s. Um, and it's a really fascinating... I mean, there is chapters on, like... There's a chapter on UCB and there's a chapter on Adam McKay and there is a lot of interesting stuff towards the later stuff, but they do really get into like the early things that led to what improv is now and like how it got to this point. And uh, this Flickr guy was part of an improv troupe that was really instrumental in moving it over from this like high art theater of the mind thing that they were trying to like discover this new theater style. And they were like, his troupe were kind of the people that were like, you can kind of do really good comedy this way. Like there's a blueprint for very clear scenic comedy. And they were kind of part of the people that developed it into how it's seen now, long form oh, wow. improv, basically. Like they were very, they were very instrumental in being like, this is strictly going to be like, and maybe to its detriment or I don't know, but like, they were like, this is going to be sketches basically like live sketches that we can do without having to write them beforehand. Um, And he didn't really have a big, Hollywood career, you know. I think I read something that he thinks like the CIA ruined this movie. <laughs> you mean the CEA? Well, it wasn't um, approved by either the CEA the or CEA. the FBR, so that might have some yeah, weight to exactly. it. Yeah, exactly. And we will talk about how silly it is that they're just called the CEA and the FBR at some point. But uh, I was fascinated in this guy because he didn't really have a career, but he was sort of part of it. So I was like, let me watch this movie. And then this was a movie that, similar to, the, to that man from Rio, which is why I'm nervous about Noah's review here, this is just a movie that, when I think about the movies, like, if I could make a movie, if I could write a thing, like, this is, this is like, so, so what I would want to make. And, yeah. like, when I watched mm -hmm. this movie, I was just like, I wish I yeah. made this movie. Like, yeah. I wish I could just, I wish I could just go out and make this movie right now with this script. Like, I wish I could just that go do it feeling... again. 
with that this feeling shot that you're describing shot. of I wish I made this thing is the mo is simultaneously and this is you know my opinion but I have to imagine this is you know a shared feeling possibly it is simultaneously one of the most amazing inspiring beautiful feelings in the world but also like a little bit like fuck like why didn't I make that thing yeah. you know like yeah, a little exactly. bit like, <laughs> yeah, fuck. Yeah, like, absolutely that right. thing already kind of exists the way I want it to you know yeah but it is yeah. ultimately more so I think inspiring than it is aggravating but there is a twinge of that I think as well that people don't touch absolutely on. and like a frustration of just like oh shit yeah. somebody did this like I can't like when I watched that man from Rio I was like I can't just make that right. man from Rio now yeah like, you can't 100%. just <laughs> you gotta 100%. do a different thing um or maybe you just say maybe ever anyone can just do anything they want, you know, in life. It doesn't matter of consequence yeah. at all. We're kind of seeing that actually. <laughs> that you can just yeah. do do whatever you I want, actually, just... regardless of consequence. So Mason, you have a very hey. uh I don't want to say you have an interesting history with this because I don't know if that's true, but you had a you had a big moment when this movie was ultimately decided to be talked about on the show. I did um, so, like Noah was saying at the top of the show, Chris has been politely asking to come back on the podcast. I didn't say I that. Care- <laughs> I, thank you for saying politely. Thank yeah, you that's for how saying I would politely. Characterize I it. Have been um, but I agree. Chris pitched us on the president's analyst, and I was like, "That sounds like something I'd be really interested in." Similar to Chris, and so sort of as a um uh, uh kind of as an investment into having Chris on the podcast. I see bought Noah, a physic, a you see Noah, of, you see how easy it is. Sounds to do like this? Mason through a, a lot of tr- a lot of trouble to get that of the president's analyst on on Amazon because uh, it was only like ten bucks for an unopened like DVD. No <laughs> special to, features you really. You could just say it was like forty, fifty, sixty, hundred bucks or something like that to make it seem like it was hard to get Christmas. No on special the show. features on the DVD, and I kept it closed until last night when I watched the movie for this podcast, and. Similarly to Chris, I it's interesting this was on the Criterion channel. Uh, I didn't watch it when it was on there, obviously. But I'm also interested in what old, like, and specifically comedies, which comedies. Comedy is a very, I think, sometimes a very difficult, maybe more than many other genres of film to, to sometimes, Stand the test well, of time. Stand the test of time, Yes. Yeah, I mean, we were just talking about our airplane is already slowly losing its yeah, grip. Yeah, only like, 40 years old. That's, that is such an achievement to be able to make a comedy thing that can last intergenerationally. Right. And I think there there's very specific things you have to do, and maybe not directly related to this, we could talk about that, because I think there are very specific things that like make a comedy stand the test of time, and we can get into that. But continue. But anyways, watch this movie for the first time last night, and I also, also similarly to Chris, I was like, this is maybe this uh, like how the songs of the album earlier was inspiring, it, and it inspired me to have a good mood. Uh, this one was more inspiring in uh, move like this one. This little fire under my ass, uh, unlike a uh, unlike a rare fire under my ass for a movie that we bring on the show to want to make something because I was like, this is just. The way that this is, like, of its time politically and also kind of ahead of its time for when it came out yeah. was really interesting to me. 
I feel like even if I watched this movie three years ago, I would have thought something different. It's so it feels so culturally relevant to yeah. this particular yeah. moment that it's like, yeah. And the fact that it was yeah. made over fifty years ago, I think you're right that the CIA probably did have something to do with the fact that nobody why nobody's heard of this movie, um, or similarly to how uh, Vice President Spiro Agnew uh, put the kibosh on a album we talked re- uh, talked about recently, um, Eugene McDaniel's Outlaw, which Chris. I want you to listen to, and I want you to tell me what you feel about that. I'm trying to find. Yeah, all right, I'll write that Eugene down. McDaniel's is outlaw. You can just, or you can listen to the album. I'm sorry, you can listen to the episode uh, that we did about it. But uh, that is my history with this movie. So, what do you guys think of this movie? <laughs> um, wait, don't I don't I get to God, say what my history rocks. with it is? No, no. Oh yeah, yeah, you go. <laughs> yep, yep. Be, I'll be, be quick. quick. I'll be though, quick. If it's People were logging it early, I think early 2021, because it was on Criterion Channel. Friend and past guest of the show, Dustin Titcomb, had logged it. And I was like, whoa, never heard of this movie, you know? And when you're into movies and you hear about a movie that you've never heard of before, and then all of a sudden people start watching it, you're like, what the fuck is going on here? Time to throw that on yeah, the Yeah, 100%. Yeah, what the fuck is this shit? Like, why have I never heard of this? Why are all of a sudden people that I know either personally or, you know, impersonally, otherwise watching. So I threw it on the list, didn't really think of any much of it. Just based on what I did know about it, it was not a priority for me in terms of, like, oh, I got to see this. Like, this doesn't necessarily, like, scream out to me as, like, oh, I got to throw this on. But I knew at a certain point Chris was going to come back on the show, and more than likely we were Inevitably, he Inevitably, was. Inevitably, I was going to get tired of blocking his no numbers, and he, we were going to have him back on the show. And so I'm like, I guess I'll wait for the right moment when he does come back to watch it, and that sort of be my maiden voyage with it. And I watched it at night. I was a little tired. Did you just like buy it on it. Amazon? Yeah, like How did you watch it on Amazon? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And I think it's like on YouTube or whatever, and other like stream like place you can rent. Or you could spend $10 and have a physical copy for yourself. Yeah, special features include widescreen version, enhanced for 16 by 9 TVs, Dolby Digital Mono, and English subtitles. Those are the three special features you get with this disc. English subtitles. English subtitles that are automatic. You click play, and the subtitles are just right on there. So, (laughs) Some people would say that's an inconvenience, actually. Some people would say that is a (laughs) shitty feature of the DVD. I don't know if I'm one of those people. No, I actually, I only like them when I don't know the language that is being spoken. Gotcha. I prefer... Gotcha. Yeah, I kind of uh, agree with that you. take. So I, you know, pop it on, whatever. I'm tired, you know, from just the day of having to do things. And I think when this episode comes out, I think I'll be back in L.A. at this point. But, like, getting ready to, like, go to L.A., there's just a bunch of things I have to do still up here to, like, be ready and, like, get ready to do that. So I pop it on. I know I have to watch for the show, Whatever. And it starts, and I don't have necessarily the highest expectations for it, but I'm open to what it is. And I'm loving this movie. Oh, my God. I can't believe this. (laughs) I'm really liking what the movie's throwing down. And I will say, unfortunately, I did fall asleep because I was tired. So, unfortunately, it was a broken watch where I did watch the second half Ah. when I woke up the next day. So, that does, unfortunately, just... Unfortunately, I was tired and I fell asleep. Vincent can be New York Times, but otherwise... <laughs> but, so I had great. to break up. I had to break up the viewing between two, ultimately less than 24 hours apart. I think I watched it, like, the first half that night and then the second half, literally the next morning, like, when I woke up. 
And unfortunately, this movie's first half and second half were like very like distinct from one another, you know. So it's like I was very clearly watching a movie done a certain way in the first. Do you half know where exactly the, second half, it feels the transition like just, happened roughly? Yeah, it's when he goes to follow Mr. Feeney home. Okay, yeah, yes, yes, that is when I feel like the movie really gets a frenetic pace to it. It does. So it I does. think it's yeah. good that it, like if anything, you kind of like got back on for when the ride begins kind of thing. You know what I mean? I, th- I think so. And it, it, it kind of felt like I was watching two different movies at a certain level because it's like the first part very much has that like beleaguered guy feel to it where it's like, oh, yeah, like, you know, oh, we want you to be the president's analyst. You know, we want you to work full time on the, in the White House. Great. That sounds great. And then all of a sudden he realizes like this is like the worst possible job like in the world or whatever. And like, I really wish I hadn't said yes to this. And that I was still very interested in that. Like, I think even the first half of this movie is like very compelling because we've all had jobs where we're just like, why the fuck did I say like yes to this? Why did I apply for this? Why am I here right now? I love how much immediately it's just like you're not allowed to say anything to anybody you're not allowed to like you talk in your sleep so you you're not allowed to live with your girlfriend anymore like all this it just immediately becomes this terrifying endeavor yeah it's it's the it's the job from hell movie is how it starts and that's the first half of the movie and the second half is just gags after gags after gags you know and it just is like this whole it's like a freaking screwball you know in like in like the second half um and I really enjoyed this movie. I was actually a little bit surprised at how much I enjoyed the movie, truthfully. So I, mean, I didn't have to scare you on this one, Chris. This one, this one, where, where you got, you brought awesome. two human treats today. That's so cool. <laughs> I'm so glad. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, for me, like I, you know, the movies that were most like foundational to me falling in love with movies, I think, were the, it's like the Blake Edwards, Peter Sellers collaboration. Sure. Right. Like all mm-hmm. the Pink Panthers in the party. And this just feels like a movie in that realm. And like, I also yeah. love spy stuff and oh, like, yeah. you know, this isn't really a detective thing, but it's that same sort of idea of like the, you know, there's, there's something afoot and everyone's trying to get at each other. And like the, the other part that I love about this movie is like everything happening around. I, I love a movie where a protagonist is just kind of like staring, like, deer caught in headlights as all this stuff keeps kind of happening you know sure. and mm-hmm. i think it's like a sin it's like a sin in movies sometimes because in like your hero's journey thing it is supposed to be like each action informs the next thing right but i'm personally a fan of like maybe that only happens at the end you know like maybe you you can have a guy who is just and you know the pink panther movies are a great example of this or you have a guy who everything he does yeah. is actually to the detriment of him helping himself right everything he does is actually making things like, worse however right that somehow like curb your enthusiasm yeah is one of the greatest but like that comics. somehow triggers a series of events that not because of what he was planning but because of like circumstances around other people's like bad morality or things like that it ends up helping him and it's this like feedback loop of like he does something stupid and wrong but then that triggers other people who are stupid and wrong to do a thing that in turn helps him and now he's like back on he's still doing the right thing and he's being and sometimes it helps them and sometimes it helps they think it'll help them or what am i trying to say it's to the detriment really of them even though they think it will help them those other people that are removed so it's like i'm screwing this person over and it's going to be to the benefit of me and i don't care about anybody else but in reality it's actually to the 
not benefit of me ultimately because I'm going to get screwed over by the person who I think I'm screwing. Yeah, and I think, like, the perfect scene for that in this movie, I mean, I don't know if this is, I don't think this is a spoiler at all, but, like, the scene that I think is, when I watched this scene, I literally paused the thing and I was like, I'm so mad that this exists. Like, I'm so angry that this scene happened, but it's the one where he's in the field with the hippies and Barry Maguire starts singing that song and then slowly mm-hmm. you see one hitman show up and you think the hitman's about yep, to kill him that and is, then he yep. gets choked and then you just go through hitman after hitman yep. while this guy is just sitting in the field and like to me that is when you it's talk Looney about Looney Tunes like, yeah when you talk about like the movies that I enjoy like that is the perfect crystallized example of just like a guy a, who is not a, doing yeah. anything but everyone else is so fucking like also <laughs> bad and greedy and, and nefarious that everything's just going fine for him, you know, like that he can just hang on. And then also just that Barry Maguire singing, like when he's laying down in the field and banging the guitar and singing that song, like it's just such a crazy yeah. scene to shoot. And it was such a weird, like slow energy to it. And like, it was so like hypnotic. And I was just like, fuck this guy. I'm actually really angry at this guy now for making this scene. <laughs> that, uh, I agree. That is, um, fuck, my thought got away from me. My thought got away from me because I was looking up who the editor of this of this movie was. I, I got it right credits, here. But I'll, yeah, I'll, I'll, uh, he's got his top four. He's on the editorial team for the um, Van Damme, Dennis Rodman film, Double Team. <laughs> he, was also the ed- he was also in the editorial department for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And okay. he's the credited editor of Wild Hogs. And George yes. of the Jungle, the Brendan yes! Jungle. <laughs> George of the Jungle rock. So that's actually that's good. a great fucking and the yeah. Leslie Nielsen Mr. Magoo. Oh my god, <laughs> this wow. guy is a certified winner. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this guy has nothing but hits. Wait a minute, wait a minute. I can't. You know what else he edited? What? What? White chicks. No. Okay. All right. <laughs> no. All right. Damn. And he's man, still alive. This guy's still going. God, I'd love to get him on the pod. Big Fat Liar with Paul Giamatti and Frankie Muniz, one of my favorite childhood films. This rocks. That no one else seems to give a shit about based on the reaction. But No, no, uh, that one's hey, hey, that's good. We all hey, like hey, it. what can I do? Sister Act 2, which some may say is the better Sister Act. I don't care either way. Uh, Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, which is a classic. Wait. Oh yeah, Hollywood that's actually film. a. Oh no very, shit! Very oh, he did an unmarried an unmarried woman. Yeah, Stuart yeah. H. Pape. Um, oh, he's actually he's, got some bangers early on, and then it seems like he's just like taking the easy page page. I was just about to say checks. he did he did hey, the uh, you he did the art, and yeah. now he's got to get the bag. Yeah. Oh, American yeah. Wedding from the American Pie series. <laughs> wow. <laughs> But not um, American Pie one or two. I wonder if they were like, you know what, the editor of American Pie one and two isn't working. This is we have to change it. <laughs> that's up. what we. Let's get like the editor the from coach. Mr. Magoo and George of the Jungle to come on. They fire. It's like yeah, when they fire the coach mid season. Uh, you know what, what guys? This is my fault. He did edit American Pie two. That's on me. Fuck, dude. And not American Pie come one on, though. Brother. So I'm gonna maintain that after American Pie one, they're like, we gotta switch it up to the Mr. Magoo and George of the Jungle guy. Well. I don't know, uh, Mason, if you what exactly you were driving at by bringing the editor up ultimately, but one of like truly like one of the best edited comedies I've ever seen. Oh my like, god! Like truly, yeah. like it is yeah. the it's not, and that's the thing, it's not edited for laughs, quote yeah. unquote. 
it's, it's very edited. straight face the whole it's time. It's so straight face. We're just we're chugging along. We're gonna move to the next thing. It's very. It's These a very. Jokes. It is a very dry. Like it is a very like kind of dry, dryly humorous movie. And it's um, also what, like, yeah. No, go ahead. No, that's just. I was just gonna say. Like uh, that is my like kind of level of comedy. Like just something that is this like this straight face and not really trying to go for the big laugh. Just something that is so. Um, uh, uh, straight. I guess straightforward maybe isn't the right term, but it's very focused, um, and it's very like kind of. I don't know. One of my favorite things about this movie is James Coburn's maniacal smile that he has sometimes <laughs> here, and just like also how... like what a what a bold casting choice to make James Coburn the president's it, analyst. In it's this. so like, cool. I love yeah. it. I I I love James Coburn. Um. Great cast here too. I also love to see because uh, I just watched the fil- the movie version of Cotton Comes to Harlem, and Godfrey Cambridge is in that, and I love that guy. And it's such a shame that he died he's great in pretty this. young. Yeah, he's so good in this. Him and the uh, Russian guy, say, all their scenes together are so good. Him and the Russian. Guy. I love the uh, man that their dynamic was so funny, and um, how how some other plot elements in this movie shake out. Are, are well, yeah, I was I was gonna say too something I love about this movie. Part of the editing and everything really is like, and I think this can often be mistaken for like campiness, and there is a layer of campiness to this movie, but it's very like impressionist in a way, and it like makes these choices that are like just so slightly surreal and silly, and like yep. it's it, mm-hmm. and I think like that level of impressionism is like very either it's either very understated to the point that it just kind of seems like good casting and like playing into the world or it becomes so over the top that it like veers towards expressionism if we're talking about things like today that are coming out and I think that like this did such a good job of like I love when they cut to the F F which what's the FBR FBR when they're going when they're going country to country and it's like the British guy being like all right gents we got to go get this guy and help our help our brothers overseas and then it cuts to that one tiny, tiny FBR agent in that giant chair. <laughs> yeah. And he's this little yeah. guy in this giant chair in, like, the bottom of the frame. And he's just like, we got to kill this guy immediately. Like, no. And again, it's like, it's not being played to comedy. There's a slow zoom on him. It's like a very intense shot where he's just like, no mistakes. This guy's dead. We're not wasting any more time. And it's just, like, so silly because it's this tiny little man and perfectly cast as, like, this conniving little FBI guy. And, like, it's just a perfect, like, subtle layer that is maybe not like you know you would say it's like you're they're breaking sort of the realism that you try to achieve in movies but i think with something like this it's like they do such a good job of of knowing where to break that realism yeah i think that's a great point chris i think the 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 skill to be able to break realism while still having you invested in the chase because it's easy to break Realism. if you don't want the audience to care about sort of the plot or sort of what's actually happening as far as, like, the goals of the character or whatever. If you're just focused on doing shit or, like, having a certain effect, yeah, fuck it. Throw it out the window. Who cares? But they're they're balancing both those things here, and it is sort of like, wow. Like, that is, like, very truly hard to achieve, to balance both those tones. Uh, It's pretty amazing because they're diametrically opposed. Yeah, and it, it's another, you know, it it reminds me of when I first started making movies, and I would be like, I don't know how to shoot the scene in this big, complex way, 
And sure. I can think of like these three little cute tricks that I could play here to like give a sense of this scene in like a in like a more again like impressionist way. And like for instance, never seeing the president in the beginning and just hearing this alarm bell going off and the yes. shots of him walking in and out with the alarm bell going off. Or like the guys who are walking through town and their outfits keep changing as they have this conversation because we're just kind of trying to accelerate the time here. And like, I feel like it was doing all these tricks that were like, and I, I can see the angle of saying this is like bad filmmaking, but I, I felt like it was just, it's, it was a much more like personal choice and it was a much more fun choice that I think created a more specific movie. Absolutely. It creates a tone and it creates like an idiosyncratic feel to it where it's like, yeah, maybe you actually do, like maybe another filmmaker or another, you know, team would show the president and they would actually show their conversations. But I agree with you. I think it's more fun and more interesting to do it that way. And I think Blake Edwards is another great example of this. A guy who I don't think gets enough credit for having a very distinct style. I think when you think about when you go, oh, this person has a very distinct style, you're thinking Tati, you're thinking Wes Anderson, you're thinking, like, people who... Visual styles. That visual are very, style, like, stark, or you're yeah. thinking, like, Paul Thomas Anderson, where it's like, you know you're going to get these sort of, like... Like a thematic style, or like... Thematic like melodramas kind of a... that are very big and epic. But I think Blake Edwards could create, like... Blake Edwards, you just felt like you were inside of Blake Edwards. Did he write all of his movies, too? Was he a writer-director as well as a... You know, I think he was a producer-director, so I think he would oversee some of the script writing, and and it's tough to tell. You know, I'm reading Sam Wasson's most recent book is about the making of Chinatown, and the guy who who won Best Screenplay for Chinatown, Robert Town, uh, his script really wasn't used at all in the final product. Oh, really? Yeah. It was it was pretty much entirely rewritten by Roman Polanski, and oh wow, they just didn't credit him for it because you know Polanski was a was the producer director, so it's hard to know what level of rewritings the director sure. does, and because it's all mostly just contracts of who gets put on the written by yeah. and stuff like that. But he he definitely had like an auteur level of control over his work, and again, it's just like he did these very subtle things. It was it was color palettes. It was but not not bold color palettes in the Wes Anderson style or, or framing in the Wes Anderson style, but it was just these subtle things, texture, things like that, that just sort of made you go like, Oh, this is, this is like a, this kind of movie, you know, it makes I mean? me feel such a specific way. It yeah. makes me feel like it, it's hard to replicate that feeling from anybody, anybody else. Yeah. And know? like this movie, the, the texture of this movie, like the color of this movie, like all of it is, it's, it feels so like, I have such a romantic attachment to this type type of movie, I feel like. Yeah, it's not hard to see why, actually, yeah, on a certain and, level. Like, it's so I'm well personally done. somebody who, this is definitely blasphemous, but, like, I mean, like, I do love every Paul Thomas Anderson movie I've seen and, like, the Coen Brothers. And I, I Obviously, when I watch these movies, I'm like, these are masterpieces, objectively. But, like, for me, when movies get too, like, I haven't seen The Revenant, and I know I should, but frankly, it's just a movie that I know is just going to like mm-hmm. hurt the whole time. You know, you don't just, have to see the rest. <laughs> and to just be like pain, and to just be like gray and yeah. cold, and and I have, you know, I understand. I like, I love Ingmar Bergman, so I understand this type of movie absolutely. But like, there is such a power to the functional opposite yeah. of that type of movie. 
of a movie that is very vibrant and surreal in not like a Lynchian way, but surreal in like a circus kind of way. And like, this is a movie that just feels like everything's a little bit more saturated in the world. You know what I mean? And not yeah. just, not just in terms of the image, but just in terms of the substance and the, and the style. You know what? I don't know if this movie was an influence, like a direct influence, but I have to imagine that they maybe watched this when they were conceiving of Austin Powers. Yeah, you know, it definitely is in that. And, like, Austin Powers is part of a time-honored tradition of spy parody that goes back sure. to even before this. But this, I feel like, really, like, really was the first one. I don't know if this is true at all. But the first one that I can, re re like, recall that really found, the like, where Austin Powers would eventually lead. I watch an Elaine May movie, and I think... Elaine May made the first movies that would become the Adam McKay mm. type movies. Oh, interesting. That, that style of improvisation into an, into an already written script and like that level of absurdity. Like you can see that in Elaine May's movies of what now became like the mainstream sort of less Apatow and I think more specifically McKay. Sure. But, like I definitely see how this movie feels like it, it's going to inform the the spy pastiche going right forward. yeah you know this I mean? is very indebted to and particularly in the um the production design of like the connery bonds um this comes out yeah this comes out i yes. think right before on her majesty's secret service Five so years. the public is really used to only seeing like just sean connery and like that kind of because that's one of the um I love a movie that is pre-70s and par very paranoid because I feel like the 70s gets all of the, at least in American movies, gets all of the, the kind of credit and attention for its paranoid themes. And that's absolutely, like, valid. You know, like, that is what was happening in this, in the culture at that time. But this movie comes out a year before Nixon is inaugurated. Um, and it has... Correct me if I'm wrong... But this feels like a dirtbag left. Very movie much of so. Because it was like, this feels like a movie made by the. I 100 percent agree, time. and I'm glad that you brought that up because I was saying like the two movies that this reminded me of were kind of dirtbag left staples: Spook Who Sat by the Door and Burn After Reading. I think that you could have a pretty solid bill. Putney of... Swope as well. Putney Swope, yeah, I think definitely. As well can be integrated into that. Yeah, I, def dude, Putney. I I thought about Putney Swope especially yeah. in the beginning of the film, you know, I think big, cause Penny Swope doesn't come out, yeah. I think for two more years uh, after this, but yeah, it's a great, that's a great call. Wait, Mason, what was the first movie you said before burn after reading the spook who sat by the, that's door. on my watch list right now. I don't that know one that is, one. I actually tried to watch that the other night and I couldn't find a good file for it. Yeah. I, I watched that movie. I watched that movie early in the Trump, um, <laughs> Trump presidency. I think that might have been a, a Twitter recommendation in 2017 when I was still on Twitter. Yeah. And like, how good was the the scene where the hitmen show up to Mr. Feeney's house and just the kids there? Yeah, and there's like there, he's like, "Don't say chinks, <laughs> yeah. that's rude." Say Chinese restaurant, and then they're like, "Are you gonna kill that guy?" And he's like, "Yes, <laughs> I am gonna kill that guy." And like that to me is the perfect <laughs> right, encapsulation yeah. of like neoliberalism right yeah. now, where and it's like, the fact right, "Don't yeah, say yeah, rude yeah. words." We have to go do a drone strike, but don't say rude words. And it's like, well, what's what's yeah, exactly. the morality? Dropping, you know? yeah. like, and Mr. Feeney, yeah. yeah, you're dropping the bomb with the black. Yeah, yeah exactly. exactly. Like in in the 2021 version of this, they would have that in this house. We will leave 
all Black Lives Matter. There's no such thing yeah, as illegal. The, the thing yeah, the front lawn. Yeah, yeah. Uh, they just they wouldn't have guns though. The funny thing, this, one of the this, most notable things about this that, is that I love the liberal character <laughs> has the two guns: the house gun and the car gun. It's and he's so like, good. I'll give mine up when they give up theirs, but I'm ready. I'm yeah. ready when the war comes. I'm going to get ready. And that, to me, I was like, I know liberals like that right now who are being like, look, it's coming, and you got to get ready, and you got to just know, like, we're in this point now. And, like, it was so fun. The, you know, again, you're talking about, like, how do our how does our protagonist get out of these situations without trying in any way? And just, like, these, these like, hyper-liberal guys they happen to be with are just like, oh, muggers are here, and they just kill, like, six hitmen immediately. Yeah, they have, he has, yeah, he has <laughs> yeah. a gun and his wife's taking karate, and then there's that awesome yeah. fight and chase through, uh, chase through the streets. It's, um, man, I wish that I had, like, either a better copy of this or my TV was better, because I would like to see this on a better version than just, because there's a lot of, going back to the editing, loved how creative, um, I love how this movie moves, and I'm with you, Noah, that the first half of this movie does feel very different from the second half, but that's what is so... I wish there were more movies like that, that, um... So that you, like... We as audiences are attuned to that kind of storytelling with a little more, um... Uh, familiarity, because you don't really see movies... Or the, the 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 movie going public at least these days, and these movies I don't think get made where you start one the movie starts one way and then it ends completely different. I think it's a pretty yeah. it's it's really smart storytelling. It's really focused storytelling. W. C. Um, Fields movies famously operate that way. Where yeah, w. I C. love Fields movie w. C. Fields will be movies, yeah. sixty minutes long, and the first twenty minutes will be like, was this just like another short film they were going to write? Yeah. And then like that plot will happen, and he's like, oh, glad I got out of there. What's going on in this movie theater? And then just like another forty minute movie happens, and you're like, I guess it's the same guy, like kind of just going yeah. through his day. Well, he like, would have been he would have been a front facing camera video oh, wow. comedy guy if he had been born in the in the front now, because that's basically what that is, right? Just doing yeah. a bunch different characters you know in 60 minutes more yeah, or less he, he honestly his movies are another that i think are underrated and are sort of lost by time yeah oh so what i wanted to say of like what what preserves a movie so for one thing i think this movie has great politics like it has really good politics that was way ahead of its time also let's just say it way ahead of its time the president's analysts the stuff they talk about analysis when he's with the russian at the end and he's like doing Freudian analysis with them and that stuff. Yeah. Yeah. That like, was pretty even wild. In the, even in the seventies, like analysis in, the, in mainstream America was still kind of seen as something only like crazy people would do. And so like to have a movie to just like accept the premise of like, this is normal. And like, this isn't because the president's crazy or whatever. And Oh, every analyst gets to see their own analyst. And like, you know, like this is just a thing. And like when in the beginning, when the, uh, CEA agent shows up and, and he's like you actually get to kill a guy and it's like legal and and they talked about like the moral justifications yeah. around that and I was like it's yeah, so yeah. like you never see movies get into this ever like they're never it's it's like while this is simultaneously a kind of campy and silly like in sometimes lo-fi movie like it, it's treating you with a level of intellect that very few movies do I agree is that and that's that point number one, or is there another point, or did you just want to point that? Like, was there a no, series of things that make a movie that, hold up? Or so was that, that was sort of one, one thing. But thing? then, if I was to break, if I was to go into a broader thing, so another guy I really love and am obsessed with is Carl Reiner. And really yeah. funny aside, 
Carl Reiner before he died. I don't know if you guys know. He had an amazing Twitter where he would just mm-hmm. he would just tweet oh, yeah. like big. F- I'm looking big forward follow. to Trump getting out of office, and I'm gonna go take a nap now. And then he would tweet like, "Can someone send me a photo of Mindy Kaling?" And like you would you would just do it, and you're like, <laughs> I don't know why he asked for this. So one day he did tweet. He was like, he was like, face photo of Mindy Kaling was his tweet. And I replied, like, hey, Mr. Reiner, like, I don't know why you asked for this, but here you go. Photo of Mindy Kaling. And he followed me on Twitter. And I was like, this has got to be a mistake. Because I went through and I looked, and he had, like, 100 followers on Twitter. And they were all either, like, Mel Brooks or, like, someone whose last name was Reiner. And so I was like, like, why why is this happening? Like, why did he do this? And I am still, to this day, convinced it was a mistake. And, like, he accidentally did it. And, like, didn't know how to change it or, like, what it meant. But I think I, he accidentally put me on his Twitter timeline. And I can only imagine the chaotic experience that must have been for 96-year-old Carl Reiner to be like, what's this weird kid talking about? <laughs> but never engaged, you know, he never, he never, like, that was it. But the only tweets he likes also are his own tweets. You okay. can go see his likes. It's That's very so, so how does this connect to the timeliness of comedy? So... So, I got super into Carl Reiner even before this. Dick Van Dyke show was another very formative thing for me. And he would always talk about what makes things stand the test of time. And his things were, don't ever use slang that's from the time. Mm-hmm. Don't ever get bogged down in cultural references to the time that, like, you know, on the Dick Van Dyke show, they never spoke in, like, any kind of slang terms. They would always just speak, like, very universal, like, baseline you know english because there was like we don't want to use things that five years from now people are going to be like what are they talking about what does that word mean sure um and i think like that is an incredibly important thing and then from my own observations like again we've talked about the cultural references of like they they reference howard johnson's and zucker abram zucker movies so much and like now you're just like what do you mean howard johnson's like i even if i know what that is like why is that a reference like what is that yeah, who cares uh, yeah. and so just like being able to stick to things that are going to be true in any generation and i think for instance government overreach and paranoia capitalist, about capitalist overreach and capitalist exactly like when when is that not going to be relevant you know what i mean and like for instance the marx brothers the thing that holds up the best from them is duck soup which is like the political farce yeah. that is like pointing out when important people try to act big and it doesn't, you know, and they look silly doing it. Yeah. And like, these are things that just like, it's, it, I think people, especially, you know, us learning at film school, know they were always like, what's the thing right now? And like interstellar just came out. So you all have to make a space movie and like get out just came out. So you all need to make a horror movie that discusses race. Even if you're like a white guy from Arizona. And like, I, I think that actually, when you when you zoom out of that yep. and you just go like what is it what is a what is a topic that is part of like the human condition and then you can find the silliness in that that like that's how you get things that people can watch 20 years later without having to be like what the fuck are they talking about and like who's this guy agreed for the interest of time i think we should move on to fast facts and the wrap up stuff but is there anything else worth mentioning before we go into that um I, uh, like all of the relationships in this movie, I think that's also a thing that helps it stand the test of time, is how um, the, and makes it uh, an interesting, like, kind of document that the 
the Russian and the American agents are very buddy-buddy and willing to share information with each other, you know, and are kind of trading information and trading um, intelligence like that. Uh, it's a fun twist, especially when this is in sort of the... It's still the middle of the Cold War, but, you know, if you see a Russian agent in a spy movie, it's likely James Bond, and they're very, it's very black and white. I like that there, there was kind of, um, the, the, the president's analyst character is kind of the only person with pretty clear, like, well, actually, he doesn't even have clear morals, um, I don't know. This is a this is a real treat, Chris. Thanks for bringing it. Uh, on. Yeah, I love that the the Russian guy and, and the American guy are friends, and they're like shooting the shit, and they're like, "All right, I'll get your guy, and you meet me over here, and we'll tell our bosses we're doing this." And like, I feel like that is so true. Like, as somebody who is now kind of like getting into geopolitical stuff and like looking at, you know, for instance, again going back to Armenia, like the average Armenian guy, despite all the adversaries around and everything, like. At the end of the day, most people are just guys in the world trying to exist and don't have really animosity yep. towards another person just because he has a certain passport. And, like, I think this movie shined that through so well. Yeah. Just these guys are all, like, buddies, and the Russian guy's a human being, too. And, you know, it's everyone's just it's notable their that part. There's, there are, uh, there's a, a few inhuman characters in this movie that I, I don't... It comes in late in the movie. I don't want to spoil it. But there are some... That guy reminds me so much of Eric Garcetti, Great. mayor of yes. Los Angeles. Yes, and he it's that crazy. performance is incredible. I'll look up that actor, but no, yeah. let's get some fast facts going here. Uh, a couple just want to say three jokes or three gags that really stood out to me. Yeah, car in the water uh, is funny as fuck. Car in the just the slow zoom, <laughs> it just makes them smaller and smaller. Car in the water is classic. Uh, red light yeah. in the soup oh, bowl. Yeah. Very funny. That was great. Very funny. He's like, oh, I can't. he's not going to be able to reach me here. He's not going to be able to call for me here. Red light in the soup bowl. Just James Coburn just going head first into the soup bowl. Like, you got to be kidding me. Uh, and then maybe my favorite joke in the whole movie, and I can't even really remember exactly what it is, but it's just that long monochrome hallway and a yes. guy riding a bike yeah. down the hallway. Yeah. You know what and I'm talking that, about? Like, there's that yeah. fanfare playing, like that big important music. That the, It's so fucking yeah. funny. Yes. The music in this was so, so like silly in such a good way. Yeah, shout out to Lalo Sh- uh, and the little guy who. Yeah, who everything. Yeah, that everything guy's like, that guy's a boss. Everything. Every soundtrack he's done is pure gold. Just for the sake of time, let's jump into some fast facts. I actually deleted a couple because I actually do have a good amount here, and I want to get sure, through them. Whatever. Not, get, you know, just yeah. Who cares? The President's Analyst is a 1967 American satirical black comedy film written and directed by Ted Flicker and starring James Coburn. The film was released theatrically on December 21st, 1967, two days before Chris's birthday, not the year, just the dates, haha. Although initially not a commercial success, the film was reviewed favorably and eventually received cult status. James Coburn first met Theodore Flicker on the set of Charade, where the screenwriter was visiting his colleague and friend Peter Stone. Years later, Flicker and Coburn were at a Christmas party together where he showed Coburn the script of a film that he and a screenwriter wished to direct. Coburn had just made Waterhole number three for Paramount and showed the script to Bob Evans, the kid stays in the picture guy who Wait, loved Bob it. Bob Evans, the deal made for production this? was made. Well, he was the executive producer. He was yeah, the head it was of his first Paramount movie that he greenlit at Paramount. He's not, and this was one of. This book I'm reading, this, was the this first Sam movie Watson book I'm reading about Chinatown, Bob Evans is one of like the main three guys in the yeah, movie. They talk yeah. about him the whole time. Yeah, he was in, he uh, he was the head of Paramount for a time, uh, and he oversaw a lot of 
productions, but his name is only on some just like kind of the big ticket stuff. You know, he was interesting. The guy that I had didn't no have idea to say that yes. This was part of his projects. He's a very interesting guy. I, I have a lot of mixed feelings on him, but another that's for another pod. Did have you seen the kid stays in the picture? No, the I haven't. About him? I read. I just finished this book that he's like. It kind of tracks his whole rise in Paramount, and then it's kind of like his quiet stepping down, mm-hmm. and like, yeah, it's super worth a watch. I haven't seen it in a number of years, but I remember it being like, a just an immensely entertaining documentary. Like aside from anything else, but paints a very interesting picture of yeah. Hollywood at that time, and I think it's based on his autobiography or biography. Um, Evans claimed that during the production of this film, he was visited by FBI agents who told him that the agency did not want the film to be made because of its unflattering portrayal of the agency. Evans refused, but when pressured by the studio, he changed FBI to FBR and CIA to CEA (laughs) by redubbing the voice tracks slightly. (laughs) Now it's fixed. Yeah, exactly. No one knows the fuck you're talking about. By redubbing them slightly out of sync, Evans believed that his telephone was being monitored by the FBI from that point on. The film's opening credits include a disclaimer that was made without the cooperation of the FBI or CIA. Uh, In one shot, in one scene being shot on the lower west side of New York City, James Coburn was being chased by two uniformed NYPD officers who were actors playing cops, shouting, stop, stop. They chased Coburn around the corner and he ran into real NYPD officers who dropped him with one blow from a nightstick. Coburn had to seek medical treatment and was, and which postponed filming, so... (laughs) Cops have always been just exemplary citizens, just doing their Where exactly was, like, the what PA they are paid to, to do. be. Like, hey guys, don't yeah, like don't knock this guy unconscious. Like we're shooting here. <laughs> the cops were probably slipping him a fifty. <laughs> yeah, let us, we know that this please. is happening. Let us fucking get <laughs> one whack at James Coburn. We have a bet going with the chief. Uh, CEA agent Don Masters, played by Godfrey Cambridge, wears a Dizzy Gillespie for President sweatshirt at the beginning of the film. Legendary jazz trumpeter Dizzy Gillespie actually ran a short-lived campaign for office in 1964. While not entirely serious, appealed to many disaffected voters. That's just a crazy fact. That's just an insane thing to know. Uh, Then we're getting to some Theodore J. Flicker, Ted Flicker facts here. Uh, Theodore J. Flicker became a member of Chicago's Compass Theater. Compass in Theater. Those are the guys. America's yeah. Del Close was there. Del Close Those was the in guys. that thing. That's that's the Elaine May was tangentially involved. It's all. It's very interesting. And they're the first theater of improvisational comedy in America. Uh, eventually, he worked as a producer, director, and performer with the company, Compass Players in St. Louis, Missouri. The Compass, the company was a such success that he was able to raise money to establish the Crystal Palace Theater, then the only monthly repertory stage in the country. That's pretty cool. Uh, in 1959, he wrote the book and directed the Broadway musical The Nervous Set. Fran Landsman provided the lyrics and Tommy Wolfe the musical score. The only quote-unquote beat musical, it was the source of the standard tune Spring Can Really Hang Mm. You Up the Most. The show was revived on Broadway in 2006. Uh, As the writer of the pilot of the television series Barney Miller, he became the show's co-owner and also wrote and directed episodes of The Dick Van Dyke Show. As you mentioned, Chris, The Andy Griffith Show, The Man from Uncle, Night Gallery, The Streets of San Francisco, and of course, I Dream of Jeannie. Flicker also appeared as the devil in a 1971 episode of Night Gallery he had written called Hell's Bells. And last but not least, a documentary biopic screened in 2007 at the Santa Fe Film Festival about him, screened, directed by David Ewing, Ted Flicker, A Life in Three Acts, had its world premiere at the Santa Fe Film Center on October 17, 2008. Among those is interviewed were Tom Aldridge and George Siegel. Those are it that I have for Fast Facts. One thing that I didn't include, but I should have because it's cool, 
Originally, the band that happens in that real surreal sequence was supposed to be the Grateful Dead, but they couldn't like, oh, interesting. make oh, interesting. arrangements with them, and they wanted like a lot of creative. I gotta control say though, Barry McGuire, he kills his <laughs> yeah. thing, where he's he just yeah. That whole sequence is standout. Uh, Chris, who's your who, what, or which is your I mean, Mercedes? I just said player? it, so I'll, I'll double down. Barry McGuire, his I mean that is him, right? Let me let me just triple check here, so I don't look stupid. Um, While you're looking at that, Mason, I do. do you have a yeah, it is Barry McGuire. Barry McGuire, yes. Spelled the incorrect way. Uh, not that it's just to make a point about it. Um, <laughs> not right. that anyone's um, looking. <laughs> my MVP is going to go to Pat Harrington Jr., who plays Arlington Hughes. The um, the kind of in- is that the short guy? No, he's the the guy at the at the end. Oh, okay. The the yes. non spoilers. Yeah, Eric Garcetti. Garcetti. Yes, yes. Um. Just a really tremendous uh, uh, performance in a comedy. Very, like, very funny, um, but also kind of scary. Uh, kind of scary. Uh, but he's awesome. It's awesome. It's my clear MVP. Uh, Noe, what's your MVP? Gotta be the man we were talking about a lot earlier, the editor of the film, Stuart H. Yeah. Pap, Pape. Not sure 100% how you say it. It's P-A-P-P-E with a little accent over the E. Uh, like I said, to me, that is sort of the thing that makes this, like, really good. That's the thing that makes this movie, like, just not another, like, forgettable 60s comedy. Like, it's the thing that makes it shine. So, to me, mm-hmm. that's the clear MVP, Mercedes Valuable Player for me. I'm going to give this a recommend at the moment, not a full recommend, because I would like to watch it once all the way through without having the break, so that it's just one clean experience. So, this is just going to get a normal recommend for me right now, with the potential for a full recommend on a second viewing when I don't have to watch it broken up. Uh, Mason, This is what do you an think? easy full recommend to me. I think that this is a, a run, don't walk kind of movie. I, it was such a, such, such a, such a great find. And I'm so happy that I have it on, on physical disc now so I can just pop it in whenever. Yeah, honestly, I may get a physical disc of this. The podcaster's DVD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's the spiritual successor. But Chris, this is a recommend for you. Yeah, I mean, this is a full recommend to me. And like, again, if you're if you are somebody who who views cinema as simply a means to get the Paul Thomas Anderson and Scorsese style movies, and you don't really have interest in like the the quirkier elements of film, then maybe this won't be for you. But like, I'm somebody who is constantly looking for like personality in movies. Yeah, and like this movie is just so full of personality and has Agreed. such a has such a strong point of view that it's like not ashamed of and like is having fun and just, I just like this is exactly what I love about movies so Agreed. for me it's a full recommend well that brings us to the end of the show finally uh, <laughs> Chris I'm, I hope you enjoyed your last appearance on the show uh, thank you so much really for being here I really stretched it out as much as I could yeah you really, really did make it count yeah you had to get all those minutes in uh, this is the part of the this is the reason you came on the show this next section is to do plugs so go ahead and plug anything you want to plug before we get out of here alright yeah I'll plug uh, everything now show on Twitch Noah actually did a really good job explaining it but we're doing a lot of fun stuff we have just gotten a slight bump in viewers and we're getting like a lot yeah, we, we are now up to like, there's we're up to about 6,600 following now, so we're at a place where there's like a lot of interaction happening now, and it's like a very fun place to 
be in the interaction or even just watch. There's like a lot more uh, engagement happening now that uh, is making it much more of a collaborative effort. So I'm having a lot of fun doing it. We have a lot of cool stuff coming up soon. And then also maybe I'm going to make a cool movie that I'll talk to them about off the pod. We'll see. Hell. Maybe, yeah. <laughs> off the pod, though. Because I don't want anyone to steal the idea. This is yeah. for your benefit. Um, they're doing that. You guys are really, you know, from when I started guesting on the show till now, you guys are doing stuff I've never seen you guys do on the show before, like within the last like month or two. So if yeah. you haven't checked out everything now, this is a great time to start checking out everything now. Uh, the interactive part cannot be emphasized enough. I'll just say that. That is really the. You guys are doing some really cool interactive stuff, uh, specifically the stuff with the ghosts. I thought was pretty amazing. Yeah, the ghosts was big. The ghosts was huge uh, for you guys. Yeah, now we've got a lot. Yeah, we're doing a lot of cool stuff. Uh, I mean, the other members of the team are really the ones who are so good at the tech elements and finding all these new creative ways to explore that, and it's really getting fun. So check it out. Mason, you want to do some plugs? You want me to do some plugs? I will. uh, uh, You can do some plugs. Okay. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Noah Marger on Twitter at Noah.Marger on Instagram. You can even follow me on TikTok if you want. Please don't. <laughs> but I, I am contractually, contractually obligated to say that based Are on the really? contract I forced Mason to sign. Yeah, the contract I forced you to sign says that I have to talk about TikTok. <laughs> okay. Uh, so you can follow me on TikTok as well. Uh, I'm not going to tell you how to find me. Uh, you can also listen to my other podcast, my favorite podcast, the podcast about people's favorite things. Maybe I'll uh, come on that one soon. Don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, but you can listen. You, you can listen to Chris's one appearance so far. Actually, you actually have had two appearances. Now that I think about it, you were one of the first ten guests on the show. You talked about the New York Rangers, and you talked about you answered questions with me and Jake Ellenbogen on the on the mailbag episode. So yeah. both very good episodes. Check it out. We got a big back catalog. We are slowly getting up into the 60s I think in terms of shows I think this I think episode 59 58 maybe will be coming out when this comes out it's hard to know so one of those two but got a lot of good stuff going on over there and of course your local government at yg.world on Instagram and your local government comedy on YouTube for stuff that Fed and I are doing that's it Mason bring oh, us home can I just do one much much quicker sorry go for just- it it just a very slightly more serious plug just to yeah. uh, appease myself here. So we did talk about Armenia a lot today, and I was trying to not get into it too much, but there was a really bad war that happened in the country this year, and they're still really struggling hard from that. So if anyone has the means to do it and they want to throw $5, $10 to Armenia Fund or uh, there's a wounded veterans thing for Armenia that you can just Google and it's, you know, it's just like, it's a very bad time and it's a country that really doesn't have anyone and is really left to their own devices and there's only about 9 million of us across the entire world. So, yeah, if you have anyone in your life that is Armenian that has impacted you positively in any way, like, please throw $10 to that and, yeah. And we can link to that uh, cool. Armenian fund in the show description. Cool. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank, yes. Thank you very much for that, Chris. We will put that in the description. You can find me, Mason, uh, on social media, which is linked in the link tree in the description here. I'm also, I think when this episode comes out, I it will be the final episode in that um, series I'm doing with past chef Heaven Ramirez on her podcast, From My Lips to Your Ringing Ears, about the films of David Lynch in that episode to cap it. To cap the series off, you'll be talking about Mulholland Drive that should be on your podcast feeds 
at the same time that this gets dropped. Other than that, I am uh, making weekly playlists, which I'm sharing on my Instagram stories every Monday, just as a fun thing for me to do. Used to do them every month. I thought, why not? There is a lot, like we said on the show, there's a lot of music that's out there. And the stuff that I find and I want to share, I want to share with y'all every every Monday. Not going to be longer than 45 minutes, but that's what else I've got going on. And uh, as well as uh, a couple just, I don't know, just living, hopping and bopping around the city of Chicago. Uh, we'll close the show off here, folks, with saying, tell someone you love them this week. Do something that you love this week. And uh, just try your best to have a, a good time and uh, not get your feelings too hurt. And we will see you all on the podcast screens next time. See ya. Bye-bye. But it's that it's that time of the episode where I realized that uh, my was dying and I didn't bring my charger into my bedroom. So I'm gonna walk into my living room. Everything's fine. I'm just walking into my living room to go grab my charger and then I'm gonna plug it in. Okay. Everything's fine. So you're I'm, you're, still, gonna, you're still doing I'm the right show, here. aren't you? We got a nice little I didn't, uh, nice little flash of the Armenian flag in Chris's room up there. There is an Armenian flag in my room. As I said, there's a lot has happened this year. We don't need to get into it. But, but <laughs> Chris, you sound so insane. You sound like you just went underwater. Holy shit. Ugh, everything's fine. Okay. Everything's fine. Everything's, everything's going so really smooth. fine. It's like, oh my god, you're just going to plug it in and we're going to be doing the podcast. I'm just going to plug gonna it in. We're just going to be doing podcasts. pretty hot <laughs> We're going to be doing... We're just podcasting hey. over hey, here. Hey, are we doing podcasting over here? You're damn right we're doing podcasting over here. Oh, <laughs>